0: I think the the digital world is going to continue to eat the analog world and how dystopian or not that ends up being will be entirely a function of the individuals that are working towards one eventual outcome or the other which is what makes doing this type of work to me so worth doing. Hello there. How are you all doing? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the
1: only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And before we get into the interview today, I have a quick message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin. And even though they've been with me for a year, I have not sold a single sat with Gemini. I'm only buying. I'm a hodler, but I have been buying Bitcoin with them. Not only have I been buying the dips through Gemini, but I also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin, and I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With a streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing, all through one clear, attractive interface. And Gemini are now running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to Gemini.com. Forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade 100 dollars or more on Gemini. If you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com forward slash WBD. Next up it's sportsbet.io. The very best place for online gaming because they're badasses and they accept Bitcoin. Now we are over halfway through the season. Liverpool have just picked up their first trophy. Tottenham are struggling as ever. This season is going as planned. But how's it going to finish? Do you know how it's going to finish? Will Liverpool win the title? Will they snatch it away from City? Who's going to win the league? Who's going to win the Champions League? Who knows? Well, anyway, if you want to take a bet, sportsbet.io has got you covered. And not just with football, they cover tennis, motorsports, US sports, they even cover esports. And for new customers, there's always a range of promotions available. So if you want to find out more, please head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions. That is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. Next up, it's Level. Now, as the world migrates from traditional walled garden financial rails to Bitcoin, Level has rebuilt its Bitcoin trading app to become the first full suite Bitcoin banking app. The Bitcoin revolution isn't just about investing dollars. It's about replacing them. So, while other apps help you to buy Bitcoin, the Level app lets you use your Bitcoin for daily life. You can get paid in Bitcoin, you can spend Bitcoin anywhere, and you can even earn Bitcoin rewards. All of this is alongside a traditional fiat account, so you can manage your Bitcoin alongside your traditional currencies. Now, Level are reserving 500 beta slots for WBD listeners ready to go all in and bank in Bitcoin. If you want to find out more, head over to level.co/wbd which is lvl.co forward slash WBD for info and early access. Also, today we have Casa. Whether you've just bought your first Sats or you're a Bitcoin pro, you need to protect your investment. And the only person who should be in charge of your Bitcoin and your financial freedom is you. And securing your Bitcoin does not have to be difficult because Casa makes it so easy. Getting started is super simple. You just download the app, create an account and enjoy a 30-day free trial. And if you need some assistance, it is just a click or phone call away. CASA has best-in-class customer support and free online resources to support you. Now, 12Canada recently showed us the importance of self-custody and taking control of your money when they froze protesters' finances with no warning. Take your financial freedom into your hands by self-custodying your Bitcoin so it can never be frozen without your consent. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Travis, how you doing, man? Boom, baby. Here we are. In Texas.
0: Yeah, nice to have you here.
1: Hey, uh, I I phoned... uh, Parker Lewis, when I got here, and he first said, he said, you're free again. Yeah. You're free.
0: Yeah. Good to have you here. Land of the Bitcoin miners now.
1: I know, man. It's wild here, right? Yeah. How long How have long you been here now? Uh,
0: Permanently about four months. Uh, My girlfriend and I started spending time here, kind of doing Airbnbs back and forth between here and LA, kind of last spring, and found a place. And I'm from Tech. My, my I grew up two hours north of here. My family's still up there, so it's it's nice to be back in Texas.
1: And are you mixing with the bitcoiners here?
0: Some, yeah, some. Honestly, I've been in a hole working nonstop. It's been it's been, uh, as you know, a lot lot going on lately. So, um, been trying to get out and yeah, and do some stuff. Um, the the, uh, the Unchained Capital guys got a good thing going.
1: Yeah, do you know you know Parker? Yeah, yeah, because they've got um they're doing a whole bunch of stuff for South by as well. I think because mm. South by won't touch Bitcoin,
0: right? Fuckers.
1: <laughs> well i love it here man yeah texans um,
0: texans will touch bitcoin for sure uh yeah i love it
1: <laughs> it's uh it's interesting meeting some of the i've met some of the oil and gas people down at the houston meetup and they're like they're in
0: yeah that was my whole career before crypto
1: was it oh yeah. you were trading yeah was it oil futures
0: no uh, equities equities yeah long short energy equities and like non-control private equity and debt in the energy space what's, but-
1: the, what's that like for them at the moment
0: yeah, you know, I hadn't kept up with the guys nearly as much. I mean, it's it's uh, it was brutal for years, and then now it's obviously been going the other way. And and um, I hadn't kept up with them too much, but
1: all right, man. Well, listen, look, I always like getting you on the show. You know that. Um, a couple of years ago, there would like there was two people we would get on who would tell us a, a similar thing. It was you and Caitlin Long. Mm-hmm. You would both be talking about. Like, what's happening in the markets? It can't carry on forever. There's too much debt. Like, this quantitative easing can't go on forever. And we were getting to the point where we were like, oh, we need to talk about this. And uh, Because some of the people were saying, well, COVID was the pin that was going to break the bubble. But, like, it didn't, really. But, like, what's happening now? This last kind of week, two weeks, this might actually be the pin that pricks the bubble.
0: Maybe. Um... That type of stuff is always hard, hard to call, hard to predict, and then even I think when you're in the moment, it's kind of it's kind of hard to know. I I think certainly some of the occurrences that have happened over the last month have woken people up to the need for censorship-resistant money for sure, and um, just decentralization in general. I've just been, I, I just feel like there's been a lot of billboards over the last month about why decentralization matters yeah and it's a lot of that ties back to bitcoin you know i think some of the de stuff is kind of less relevant to bitcoin but still firmly in the in the category of, of of why decentralization matters um and and how slippery of a slope that can be and and free speech what, what does free speech mean in a, in a, in a social media world right i think you, you've been seeing a lot of that stuff like with the with with the rogan stuff and 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 even going back to you know, uh, the pre- the, uh, Donald Trump is not on Twitter. Uh, the president of Ukraine, ha- i sorry, the president of Russia has a Twitter account. Yep. And that's like just an interesting thing that we we got going on right now.
1: Yeah, um, and, and that points to another interesting thing because the, the work we've been doing over the last uh, couple of months has been super interesting. Towards the end of COVID, it all got a little bit samey, a little bit boring. And, uh, but what's been going on now, like some of the conversations we've been having are really super interesting. It doesn't matter who you speak to. You could speak to an ANCAP. You can speak to somebody who's like a Bitcoiner, but maybe they are, you know, they're not a libertarian. Maybe they're a Republican. Even we've had some people on the show who are kind of like lefties as well. Um, and what we've, we found is like, it doesn't matter where you are on this political spectrum, political, apolitical. There are like certain truths that everyone is seeing at the same time. Yeah. There are certain things where everyone's kind of like pointing in the same direction and actually even outside of that. So we did this interview with Mark Moss talking about cycles, talking about all the various cycles, economic cycles, political cycles. And then I was uh, listening to the new Ray Dalio book. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's talking about the similar things. There's like these these truths that keep coming forward that a lot of people are attaching to. And I think it all points back to what you're saying here, this kind of like this need now, this absolute need for decentralization.
0: Yeah. And in in a world where technology, humans reliance on technology is is sort of unequivocally going to increase and that 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 trend looks inexorable. In in that world you got to start looking more closely at the entities that wield the power via technology and it's just a on, you know, whether you're on the left, whether you're on the right, whether you're a Bitcoin fan, whether you're whether you're not, um, you can, I think, pretty objectively look at the state of of uh, of big tech currently and say, is is the centralization of technology causing societal problems? Yes or no. If humanity is going to rely more on technology in the future than they are today. What is the likelihood that those problems could potentially be exacerbated from the levels that they are currently? And that that's a setup that uh, I think people with all sort of leanings or whatever can just look at that and go, yeah, that looks like a potential issue.
1: And do you think that centralization of power within technology companies is an issue just in isolation or is it an issue alongside this kind of like creeping authoritarianism within What with a what a you know, Western liberal democracies. Uh, an example, a great example, I mean, you mentioned it in your email, which we read this week. Um, anyone listening, by the way, sign up to the Guy email. We'll let you pitch that at the end, because uh, it's a great email. Um, but a great example being what happened in Canada. You know, a lot of people made donations by, by GoFundMe. Yeah. A lot of people did those in good faith, believing that money would get to the truckers. GoFundMe were fine with it until the government came into them and said, hey, we're not having this. And they kind of prevented it. Right. And then we went to a point where people were making Bitcoin donations. And then even the guy collecting the Bitcoin donations, he got a visit from the police and the the private keys were owned for part of that Bitcoin as well. So is it in isolation? Is it
0: together? Is it both? Oh, man. Um, Yeah, I'm not not sure how how I think about it. I I think... The, the, when you look at trends like AI, robotics, um, you know, some of the other, some of the other, you know, you know, biggest trends that are, that are coming in, in technology and how much power Google has right now, well, whoever is like in the lead for robotics and AI, that's more power than Google has right now. And maybe that ends up being Google. And that's, that's, I think, on on the big tech side. And on on the government side, looking uh, looking at just how things that felt like they would never happen seem to be happening with a higher frequency, a higher occurrence. Can you give me examples? The GoFundMe is, I mean, that that that's a great example. Um, and the Canadian government, which you think of that as like a developed nation, like it's like, if that was happening in, you know, I don't know, whatever. Tur- Russia. Yeah, <laughs> Turkey or like, you know. Brazil. Venezuela or or or, or something like that. Um, I think people would pay less attention to it. But you think of Can- Canada as being, you know, kind of like the United States. There, there was a point that I saw brought up that, that really drove it home for me, which was, If what they what they did with the GoFundMe, well, if I tried to raise a GoFundMe to fight the government about what they had just done to shut down the Ontario truckers GoFundMe, would that GoFundMe also get shut down so that you don't have the ability to fund the people can't fund uh, uh, pushing back against the government? And that just gets so slippery, slow, so fast. And we need. We need things like this to bubble up to the to the top of the collective consciousness like they have. You know, it's front page news everywhere. It's, uh, it's all you see on social media for a few days. And it, it requires that bubbling up to get. uh People to kind of lift their head out, out of whatever it is they're doing. People are busy. People got all kinds of stuff going on. It's really just crypto people that, that, that have this, this natural tendency to think so much about the way the government is infringing on, on rights or big, big t- the centralization of big tech is, is, is infringing on, on people's rights. Like crypto people, we just have a tendency to be like that. Most people are just living their life, doing their thing. But when something like this pops up, then it, it acts as a forcing function. For more of society to say, oh, we need an alternative. What are what are the alternatives? And then they start looking elsewhere. And I think just as importantly as that, you know, some of the solutions. Uh, you know, Bitcoin's an, an amazing solution for the money side of things. For some of the big te- big tech side of things, uh, you know, I, 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 in my opinion, you know, I don't think Bitcoin can can solve some of that and maybe nothing that exists right now in its current incantation in the crypto ecosystem, you know, layer 1 smart contract platforms or whatever, dapps m- m- maybe those can't solve that uh that centralized authority of big tech problem, which means you're going to need developers, the people that are actually going to build the shit. You need them, their attention to be caught as well too. And y- you need it to be egregious enough that they're willing to stop doing whatever their giga brains are doing, right? Whatever smart thing they're building in regular life to be like, you know what, I actually think building something in a decentralized, uh, you-, you know, in, in this path is a-, is a worthwhile thing.
1: We'll come back to that because I do want to talk about that because whilst it's a Bitcoin show, I have got like an evolving opinion on this. And, you know, that thing in your email, you said, some of this stuff can't be built on Bitcoin. You know, me and Danny made us like sit back and question and think about it. But I, I do want to touch on that trucker thing that, that I think is kind of interesting in that trying to, we, we covered it on our show. We had Greg Farson, um, what's his name, Cut, Nothing Caribou? Yeah, yeah. Caribou. We had them on to talk about it. Nobody Caribou. Nobody Caribou, yeah. And, you know, I was like fully supportive. I made a donation. I thought this was bullshit, but I also realized Sometimes, we get stuck in our own echo chamber, whether it's on social media or making the show. We got a bunch of emails from Bitcoiners afterwards on that show who were like, listen, there is an alternative view on this. Like, I support the truckers 100%. I support their right to protest. But there were specific examples. One guy whose uh, his mother or father had their operation canceled because they couldn't get to the hospital. Mm. People couldn't get, get their kids to school. Now, I flip to the other side and I say, well, look, civil disobedience has to create some difficulty for people. But I don't think the trucker issue... I did didn't—I don't think a lot of people saw that as an issue outside of our cohort, actually. right. I think some people did, and there's like some louder voices, Jordan Peterson's mm-hmm. and such who did, but I don't think enough did. And what that made me realize is like, okay, some people did, we got a few more people. Russian billionaires having their assets stolen. Again, we can discuss and debate whether that's right or wrong. That's another group of people. Like th- There's a group of elites now who realize they're at risk. There are people who are just in Russia, b t platform. There's a whole list of people who are now being given these use cases for censorship resistance and decentralization. And what it feels like to me is we're getting in a flood of things in once. You know, A few years ago, it was, oh, I can buy weed on the internet. Cool, mm-hmm. that's a use case. WikiLeaks can't get... The payment rails, that's a use case, but you'd get like one every year or two. Right. We're getting all of them in one go right now. Yep.
0: Yeah, it's, um, I I, I had not thought deeply about, I guess like the negative aspects of civil disobedience. What you just said makes makes sense. Um, I think universally getting uh, support to affected Ukrainians, like that's kind of universally positive. And you had the crypto ecosystem that raised like 50 million bucks in a week unreal, and, and, and got it into people's hands. Um, and and uh, that definitely made it to the global stage as well, too. And and um, it's like I said, you just you, you need those things to act as as a forcing function for, you know, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And uh, people aren't going to pay attention to that. Uh, unless it's right there in their face, I think. And I I thought the same thing about uh, like the GameStop, uh, Robinhood, uh, Wall Street bets, you know, change the rules kind of thing to keep Robinhood, uh, Wall Street bets people from like everything that happened with Citadel Securities, that whole thing back in whatever, January, February of, of, of last year and and that was one of these things that bubbled up to the top of the collective consciousness because it was like the little guy was winning at the big guy's game and then the big guy like changed the rules right when it was when the big guy was getting beat worse uh the worst in order to uh you know not have the little guy win anymore.
1: Remind people listening what happened, just because there'll be some new people who won't know the full story.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was, it was there was a huge short squeeze on on GameStop stock, and uh, Robinhood changed, you know, the stock was, was, was skyrocketing higher day after day after day, and Robinhood, like, changed the collateral requirements, the margin requirements, and basically shut down the ability to... Uh, buy any more GameStop and said that it was under this guise of like margin requirement type of stuff. Um, But it so obviously looked like big Wall Street hedge funds that were getting run over by the little guy in Wall Street bets collectively and then changed the rules so they'd stop getting run over.
1: Protecting the big guy against the little guy. Yeah. This is why the Russian thing's interesting uh, with what's happening with the oligarchs essentially having, you know, subject to asset freezes right now i I saw about that 600 million dollar 800 million (laughs) dollar Fuck knows how much it was but the super yacht that's just been Mm um the german authorities have just taken Mm i'm just taking in people can debate whether that's right or wrong whether that's you know because he's an oligarch and the relationship with putin whether that's you know uh like a mafia right uh, you know whether you're just like a a necessary asset freeze in like this war game at the moment but Outside of that is, historically, all we've seen is the little guy getting squeezed in all these situations, the little guy getting fucked, whether it's the truckers or the GameStop people. It's always the little guy, but now we're seeing some big guys get fucked. right? And I think that's raising this idea that anybody... If you literally said it in your email. You know, your ethnic group or your... I can't remember your exact words, but... Someone, will, someone may come after you everyone's at threat and every, i think everyone needs to realize everyone's at threat
0: yeah 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 your social class your or social class, or yeah. your your ethnic group and that's what i mean like it's that's it, it's just a slippery slope like that and and I, I think you i don't know i guess i try and use a compass of something like like an inalienable right like just a you know a sort of like God, if you believe in a God, a God-given right. If you, you know, or just natural law, or however you, however you want to frame it. But it, it, you know, is 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 free speech an inalienable right? And what does that mean in the context of social media platforms that are owned by corporations? Is uncensorable money an inalienable right? Um, I'm, you know, I just the the invention of Bitcoin. Was a total step change in the technology of money. Money, in some ways, is just a technology, and uh, within the the backdrop of of these current events that have been going on, um, that that type of question and the implications for 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 that, um, people are starting to see that a little bit more clearly, because like, yeah, maybe everything everybody thinks that that Russian oligarchs. Um, Uh, should have their, their stuff sanctioned. And, and, you know, I think I generally probably agree with that. Um, But then the next thing, you know, well, you know, what about truckers that are protesting against the vaccine, Um, against the vaccine mandate? Well, that feels a little bit more shaky. And then you can, you, you can look at the history books and it's, it's easy to see that, like, as you start eroding these things, the next thing, you know, it's, it's your ethnic group, it's your social class, it's your—it's the people you care about. Um, and the things that seemed impossible, all of a sudden, you know, seem a lot more likely.
1: That makes me think of something else as well. I, I've brought it up previously whereby, you're a sim- I think you're a few years younger than me, but similar age in that we've kind of lived through this really steady, kind of stable period of three, four decades, whereby it feels like the, the big events of history, you know, the big wars, the, the big changes in society is kind of like we've missed it all. It's all all in the history books, but we're now going through this for like a period of time now, whereby like history is being rewritten, and I don't know what the fuck's going to happen, Travis, over this next year, decade. But we could come out at the end of it like in a very different world.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I'd, I'd I don't know if I'd agree with everything happened before our time the, because I'm, I'm
1: on about like the big. Events of like world wars and
0: yeah, but but, but the, the erosion of trust of centralized authorities that didn't look the same in the 90s as it looks right now. And you can look at polls, um, over long periods of time and you and, and you can see that. And it's, I, I thought about how, how that started like, wh- where did that what started society? beginning to feel that centralized authorities were failing the people at an increasing rate. And um, I think about, um, and, and part of it is that in the information age, you can catch people that are full of shit, that are lying to you. You can just catch them better, yep. right? It used to be, you know, catching Nixon back in Watergate, but you know, that took all kinds of 1970s stuff to have that ha- have that happen. And stroke true luck. Yeah, yeah but 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 in in the information age it just gets easier to to put some of the pieces together about how full of shit or how not in your best interests centralized authorities have been acting and 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 I think a lot of it started in America with the reaction to 9/11 and then the you know us going over to Iraq talking about weapons of mass destruction and spending you know, however many tens of thousands of lives on both sides, $10 trillion over that period of time under this guise of weapons of mass destruction that that never ended up actually being the case.
1: Well, we knew we were being lied to. Everybody knew they were being lied to.
0: Not at the time. I, f-
1: I felt like we did. Yeah.
0: And then, okay, well then, so you're just sitting, even if that's true, so you're sitting there and the, the government's sitting there lying to you. And then, and then I think the financial crisis was another big step in this where uh, subprime metastasized, you know, almost blew up the glo- kind of blew up the global financial market. and like nobody went to jail and all the rich people like stayed rich basically. And people just kind of looked at that, like normal people just kind of looked at that and were like, why wasn't anybody held accountable for that? And then if you really start to dig deeper into it, the reaction to the financial crisis in 08 from a monetary policy perspective has then set us off on this path now that we cannot get off of. And when the next crisis came around in COVID, the monetary policy response was, you know, so massive in this direction of loose monetary policy that, you're just going further and further of just driving this train straight off the off the cliff. And we're just going to kind of see what happens, basically. And I just I, I think and maybe it's just me being neck deep in, in crypto stuff all day for years now. But I'm and 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 that just makes me biased. But I think more and more people are waking up to um, uh, just that general tendency for uh centralized. Power to be failing people at multiple levels, whether it's at the government, whether it's at Wall Street, whether it's big tech um, and decentralization, distributed ledger technology uh, is the technological platform to go drive societal change for the good and it, and I think it's like a, a multi decade trend and um, in, in some ways I get uh, I don't know if happy is the right word, but I I know that we need these things to happen more and more to wake people up more and more to the need for an alternative. You have to have these forcing functions. Otherwise people are just kind of too placated by by their day to day.
1: And I see it more here. I don't know what it's like for Danny because he lives in Australia, but uh, I see it more here than I see it in the UK. I see it in the UK, but it's like a 10X here in the US. Like every problem that we have in the UK is 10x worse. And I don't I don't know if it's the problem's 10x worse or the left-right divide is making it look 10x worse. Yeah. But it always feels 10x worse here.
0: How how bad is the divisiveness in the UK relative to the US? <laughs> it's right.
1: different. There aren't battle lines drawn on specific issues. Yeah. So uh I can give you two examples. Um so we are equivalents to Republicans and Democrats as Conservative and Labour Party mm-hmm. voters. And I wouldn't say there is a massive divide on vaccines, whether you're Labour or Conservative. My friends, whether they're one or the other, their decision to be vaccinated or to oppose vaccines or vaccine mandates wasn't along that political mm-hmm. line. Just... It just wasn't there. There, there. there may be a slight bias towards Conservatives being more like Republicans, but it's not as big of an issue. Similar here, I'm now finding a little bit with what's going on in Ukraine and Russia, in that there's almost universal condemnation for it. Whereas I'm finding my more conservative-slash-libertarian friends in the US are a little bit more suspicious about what's happening and why it's happening, and why do we care, and do we only care because the media's telling us, and why do not we care about what's happening in Palestine and in... Uh, yeah, but now I, I think they're, I think they're wrong in that. I think people do care, but uh, but we don't have that divide. What's it like in Australia?
0: Uh, it's probably more similar to UK, I think. And I think actually the like, sort of the people who are against opposed like the vaccine and the mandates, in maybe the UK and I think Australia actually is more the left wing, like and so. not like the woke left wing but like the people that are making a big stand in Australia are like the tradies and the... Tr- it's the working like, class. It's the working class mm. people, yeah.
1: Yeah, so it's very different. So this is where I think I get in trouble, I get into the arguments with people, is that they have this expectation, being a Bitcoiner, that I have very similar views for them, but I'm, I'm not just a Bitcoiner, I'm British. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very influenced culturally by how we are in the UK. I, I, I think the problems are exactly the same, but like I say, it just feels worse here. It almost feels like you're leading the race for the fracturing of everything that's happening. You know, we don't have a, we have a crap prime minister. Well, <laughs> on the spectrum of political leaders, actually, he's not the worst. Yeah, you know, he opened up the UK for COVID before everyone else. Yeah, you know, again, we don't need to get into the debate of what's right or wrong. You know, he was, you know, he did champion that. Yes, he shouldn't have been having his cheese and wine parties. Everybody I know was having their own private cheese and wine parties anyway, but we don't you know, he's of a he's of a reasonable age to be a leader of a country, he's not eighty years old. Yeah. Um we don't have people like Nancy Pelosi. We don't have all these things where we keep hearing about uh politicians um benefiting from their investments in, you know, the stock market, yeah. being able to be privy to certain information. I, I feel like the US is just fracturing ahead of us. Uh we're on a similar trajectory we're just behind and i think that's because we have this one of the reasons i think is that we don't have two-party politics we have four or five parties of which we have two main parties but we have that kind of release valve if you can't pick one side there's like one or two other parties you can vote for yeah so i think that's one of the
0: other differences we have i mean the two-party system in america i don't know it just feels like it's never been more fragile than it is right now i just don't think it works and and in a digital age in, the, in an information age where you're you can be defi- you can pick whatever group you want to be a part of that's a global group right and you can be much closer to i can I can have a much closer relationship with some guy i've never met in person before that's in asia somewhere relative to my next door neighbor that you know like physically next door neighbor and the tendency for the information age to to i think make people sort of define themselves who they are by this much broader thing makes it even harder to shoehorn into like this two-party system and young people i think just feel that like a lot more acutely than older people and and i i I, it seems like so many more young people just recognize that like both sides are full of shit Mm -hmm. both both sides are full of shit equally full of shit in different ways and um Eventually, you know, boomers are gonna, you know, golly, they're holding on to this power and money like just, you know, our, our our politicians are so old in America, and they're just holding on to that power and that money, and you're gonna have to pry it from their cold dead hands. And a lot of the change that I'm I'm hopeful can be pushed through in in coming decades it is gonna be partially predicated on just enough time passing. That enough of the younger generation is in in positions of influence and, and 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 financial positions that like some of these changes can actually can actually happen and and I think the the really optimistic view of that would be that there's like an inevitability to that.
1: Yeah, uh, and is there like fundamental changes to the political structure, or is it just a change to the people who represent? Right. The constituents. Um the ongoing debate I have with libertarians that's having it today online today is that I think the ideology is great, just don't think it works. Yeah. I think on paper it's perfect. I agree with everything you're saying. I just I don't think it I don't know how you get there from where we are now. Right. It's too big a leap. Right. Um but it's which is why I always say I wish more libertarians were involved in politics to maybe have that release valve, to pull on the size of the state, rather than pulling left to right, pulling big, fee small. It's quite interesting, this guy, Josh Mandel, you know, he's a guy who's potentially one of those people who can make a difference because he's a Bitcoiner, he believes in small government, and that, that kind of person could, you know, if you had enough of those type of people, they could make things more interesting, because I still don't know how you decentralize politics. I know, I mean, yes, I do, I know you can smoke uh, Focus on at a more local level, but I don't. I don't know if you can achieve a real, like, decentralized form of governance where there's no real power structures. I think you always have them.
0: Well, if, you're already seeing a little bit of this with with um, with the crypto ecosystem as a whole. But if if the crypto ecosystem continues to to grow in in, in prominence and and frankly market cap value, like I think we all think it's going to, um, then very quickly crypto is going to be like on the ballot so to speak like in a meaningful way maybe not not literally but like you're going to have you're going to have politicians that are going to have to have stances on this you're already starting to see that and and there are some amount of crypto people that are willing to be single issue voters and you could get into a situation where um you know it's a tight Whatever it's some tight contested race, con- congressional race, senatorial race, whatever, and neither party or neither candidate has come out with any sort of view on crypto. And you might be able to get, pick up some single-digit percent um, uh, vote swing by just coming out and being supportive of, of crypto, uh, because crypto people are that uh, fired up about this.
1: But well, it's a growing hack
0: as well. Yeah, yeah. If
1: you when you declare yourself as a Bitcoiner or even a crypto person, you suddenly you suddenly gain this whole bunch of followers or people interested in and support yeah. support you. Uh, nobody gave a fuck about El Salvador maybe certainly 2 years ago, maybe even a year ago, probably couldn't even point to it on a map. Right. They didn't know who Bekele is. Now everyone knows who he yep. is and everyone in Bitcoin or crypto loves him. He speaks the right language. He's he's clearly been influenced by them as well. And I think a lot of politicians start to see that. We've had it, Danny, how many people, how many Senate uh, people? Like politicians, are, yeah. uh, f- at least five reach out probably. In the last, what, three weeks? Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: People are running, like yeah. racing, uh, in a race for like a seat in the Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, we've already had a couple on. We, we're just rejecting them now because every interview is the same. Yeah. But I get why they want it because they want access to that audience. Yeah,
0: that, that's an incentive structure that you just love. Like, yeah. that's just a shift in, I mean, that matters. You you run that that incentive setup out a few years and, like, you can get shit changed based on that. It's going to take a little while. It's going to happen overnight. But, you know, you get into the back part of this decade and um, that, that that just starts to look a lot more promising. Flip it
1: the other way. Here in Texas, imagine... imagine one of the people running you know well excuse my use of language because i don't know the exact terminology but running for the senate or running for congress here and being anti-bitcoin
0: yeah it's like probably not going to go over very well it's not going to work yeah there's
1: too many jobs here now yeah. there's too many people here like i think this state has flipped i think this is a certainly a bitcoin state Yep. so it's flipped but i think others are realizing the hack the, and the game theory points in one direction only.
0: Right. yeah which is nice
1: Because, what is it, 30% 30 of the U.S. population owns some form of crypto. Is that correct?
0: I think that's right. I think that's right. That, that, That new study just came out a few weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Before we carry on with the interview, I do have a quick message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by BlockFi. Now, BlockFi bridges the world of traditional finance and Bitcoin, empowering you for this future financial world. And for people in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, then the BlockFi Rewards credit card provides the easiest way for you to earn Bitcoin. There are no fees to use this card, no annual fee, and no foreign transaction fees. And you can get 3.5% back in Bitcoin on all purchases in your first three months and then 1.5% back forever after. And also, for every dollar you spend over 50000 annually, you can get 2% back in Bitcoin. Now, if you want to stack stats with BlockFi, then please head over to BlockFi.com for more information and to find out the terms and conditions. This is BlockFi.com, which is B L O C K F I.com. Next up, it is Compass Mining. And they are not just a sponsor. I am a customer of Compass Mining. I am mining with Compass Mining. Now, I've been doing this for about, wow, what is it, like four months now, and I've mined over half a Bitcoin with them. It's pretty cool. It's very cool, actually. I love the fact that I'm back mining. And I also love the way Compass does this. They've made mining accessible to everyone. And as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. It was so easy to get onboarded. And now anyone can mine Bitcoin. You just pick your machines, choose your hosting facility, and they do all the rest of the work for you. Now, if you are interested in mining or if you want to find out more, then please head over to compassmining.io. That is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G dot I-O. Next up, it is BCB Group. Now, BCB Group provide online business banking for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, of course, I am a BCB customer too now. Now, they heard about the difficulty I was having finding a new bank, and they understand Bitcoin. So when they reached out to me and said, Pete, you should move your account over to BCB Group, I was like, sure. Sounds absolutely perfect for me. And I could not be happier with the service they've provided me. Now, BCB clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds, and miners active in the UK and Europe, but they are now expanding globally. They also have this amazing network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients for all supported currencies. Now listen, I know some of you have also had trouble with your banking, and if you are looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you want to become a BCB customer. Now, if you want to find out, please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Also today, we have Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now listen, in Bitcoin, we have this saying, right? Not your keys, not your Bitcoin. So if you're a Bitcoin holder, it is your money and it's time for you to own it. And if you're not storing your Bitcoin on a hardware wallet, then you are trusting somebody else. I took control of my Bitcoin back in 2017 when I bought my first Ledger Nano S and I'm still using that same device today. Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you to take control of your Bitcoin. Now, if you would like to find out more or purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Let's um so let's talk about this crypto stuff because it's kind of interesting. Uh me and Danny were talking about it earlier. I've been debating it a bit recently because this show's a Bitcoin show, right? That's what I focus on. Uh arguably a Bitcoin maxi, but not like entirely. I see that just see them as different things. Um <clears throat> and that's why your email is interesting because I see Bitcoin as separating money or state, right? Decentralized money. I don't I see crypto slightly differently, and my evol- this kind of position I'm evolving evolving to is that aside from the platform stability, you know, questions which we can uh, can be a separate debate or the future of these platforms. Like you rightly said, the technology might not have even been invented yet. But this idea of uh, companies that are more uh, operate like decentralized platforms that have a uh, more decentralized power structure, more decentralized ownership, that is something actually I can totally get behind. I don't know if it's workable. I don't know how it's built. I don't know what platforms, but the idea that perhaps you can build a Twitter where the power is decentralized, so you can't censor people. Yeah, I like that idea. Yeah, And the ownership again is decentralized or the benefits of that are decentralized. That's something I I can get behind. It's, it's where these people argue. It's like, oh, we've got a better Bitcoin because it's faster. It's transactions that's the shit i can't I can't be bothered with yeah but that idea of these kind of new forms of decentralized company i don't I, it's not even whether or not i can get behind it it's happening yeah it's when can one of these companies or is it possible for these technologies and companies to to get the network effect that's what i'm not sure about I'm not sure if a decentralized Twitter can get the network effect of a centralized Twitter. Right. If it doesn't have, like, how does it have the money or how does it have the, you know, I've run companies, Uh, the idea of running a company decentralized doesn't work. Like for the football club, for example, people have said to me, oh, you should decentralize decision-making. No, I'm running this, I'm I'm running this like, uh, like an authoritarian. I don't need (laughs) everybody to vote on every decision. Can we build these companies in a, in a more decentralized way? Is it possible? I mean, you can hope for it. You can see the benefits of it happening, but, but can it be done?
0: Yeah, I'm, th- th- these two questions I've been asking for years, what do you need decentralization for and how decentralized is decentralized enough? Yeah. And we still don't have firm answers um, to that uh, for these various different use cases. But I think going back to the early part of this conversation, when you imagine the immense power that is going to be uh, wielded by technology companies as we move through this decade and into the next decade, and we got a, autonomous driving cars, and machines are taking more and more people's jobs. We're spending more and more time in, in metaverses. We're, uh, you know, some, you know, AI, AI is just like running more and more of our life, right? Like you, you've got like some series. You got to write an email. And like, you've got some Siri that you talk to and you're like, hey, I need to write an email about this. And like the, the AI just like takes a crack at the email for you and see how, how it shakes out, like that kind of thing. All you read it, you're like, ah, oh, it's a little, you need to change that. Like all of that's coming. And the corporations, you know, you know, if corporations end up being in control of that publicly traded, profit driven, just that kind of thing, you, you look at the problems that we're having right now with big tech companies and you go, well, how big are those problems going to get? In that in that type of situation and I just really believe and 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 I'm not going to pretend like I know exactly how it's going to play out I just really believe that a decentralized approach has a higher likelihood of not exacerbating the problems that we're seeing already with technology that that just that just seems to make sense to me um, and that doesn't mean that there, there aren't other problems and like you know The problems that we're seeing with, like, wealth concentration, with wealth inequality, like, I don't necessarily know that crypto is going to solve those. Um, But I think it's got a way better chance than the way the system works right now. Uh, And the sort of, like, crony capitalism and, like, rotten democracy that we find ourselves in today in America. Um, Kind of the exact things that the founding fathers were warning about a couple hundred years ago. And, um, Have you seen the Boeing documentary? But No. It's on Netflix. Um, Boeing the planes?
1: Yeah. You know the issue they had with the 737 MAX and the MCAS system? The two Only vaguely, people. but yeah. Okay. So uh, interestingly, I decided to watch this documentary while on a flight. <laughs> <Which> <laughs> might not be the best idea. I would yeah. advise everyone to do it. Uh, but uh, what happened is Boeing, um, one of the... Yeah, they were like the the gold standard for safety with aircraft. Amazing track record, uh, and they released this new plane, the Seven Three Seven Max. And back, I think it's like October 29th, two thousand and nineteen. Daniel, check uh, a Lion Air, which is um, I think an Indonesian airline, Seven Three Seven Max crashed. It's like oh shit, this happened. Yeah, it was in the news and kind of kind of died away from the public consciousness and then like a year later or no even 6 months later an ethiopian airways 737 max crashed mm. and so the stuff came out in the news what like you know there was a problem with this system called the mcas which is basically a stabilizer this documentary went into why this happened it's fucking unbelievable but it it comes back to your point about what happens when there's profit driven incentives mm-hmm. so what happened was um they d- they dug into What happened was Boeing merged with, or they bought McDonnell Douglas, and then McDonnell Douglas people uh, started changing the way that Boeing was run. And then they started to become slaves to Wall Street. Mm. How do we become more efficient? How do we make more money? Which meant less people working on quality control, to the point where, like, there was this one point, this lady saying, we used to have 14 people in a a warehouse on the production line. We had one. Mm. And they found a ladder still inside the plane that was, like, completed on construction. Yeah, you know, th- things like that, and so what happened with the seven three seven Max? They were getting their ass kicked by Airbus. Airbus released the, I think it's the A three fifty, and so the quickest way to have a new plane is to reuse a current plane. Mm. So they just cut all these corners. They use a current plane, bigger engines are more efficient, but because they can redesign the mainframe, they had to like uh, lift them higher. But because of the way they they designed it, the plane might stall because it would go too steep. So they had this automated new MCAS system which would level it but what they didn't want to do was train any pilots they didn't because if you had to train pilots there was a cost so they didn't so these pilots were flying with new technology they didn't know they had and this led to these two crashes yeah that was the unintended consequences of it profit profit driven incentives and wall street leads to cutting corners leads leads to bad outcomes
0: yeah where can decentralization as a technology alleviate uh Uh, incentive structures that are not in the best interest of the people. That, like, just as a fundamental question. And uh, I think it's, it's, you can sit there and think about Bitcoin and you can go open source software code is a better... Uh, it's better to have that in charge of money than a bunch of old white people sitting in a back room somewhere that have all kinds of allegiances and are former bankers and are like, like, that's just a, a better, that's a better way to work around potential conflicts of interest. And you can almost think about it from the perspective of like, if aliens came down to earth and they have, they're an advanced civilization and they have the benefit of hindsight and they, know the role of technology and they look at it and, and you can just go objectively, does it make sense to rem- humans have this tendency to do these things uh, and, and are, 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 are fundamentally self-motivating type of people? And when you put them inside of incentive structure like corporate profits, they're just over time, even they don't even have to be bad. It's not that they're bad people. You just you get into this incentive structure, and people just kind of end up doing what they're incentivized to do. It can be lots of little yeah, bad decisions. Yeah, and and yeah, that's right. Like uh, just like how everything works. And 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 I think about the the the, the echo chambers that social media create through uh the, how the algorithms work. And and you know, Facebook was just trying to get people to be on Facebook more, and so they could have more advertising dollars. And the next thing you know, the algorithm is built in a way that is causing divisiveness. That has you know this country, uh, you know, as torn apart as it's been in a lot of cases and in, 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 in decades. In decades, I, I mean, I think about the Black Lives Matter protests and the, the the riots in in Los Angeles when I was there, and I and I, I was, I was sitting there and helicopters flying all over the place and. And people getting shot, you know, not far from where I lived, and 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 just a lot, a lot of divisiveness, and social media echo chambers were a meaningful driver of that, in the context of of, of corporate profit-driven uh, motivations, and 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 it's one of the reasons why I think DAOs, which are just we're just scratching the surface on what that's going to do. And, um, but just something, something as simple as, like, you know, trying to buy the, the, the copy of the Constitution or whatever, and, and the innovation that's happening on the Dow side, you run that out over the course of this decade and into the next, and you really can imagine a situation where a lot of the natural uh, uh, incentive structure-driven problems that you can have can be alleviated. And in, in in this this decentralization that is made possible by technology that we have not had for very long.
1: The the thing I then think about, uh, which by the way uh, the guy in the Boeing documentary said, he said, when there's a plane crash, it's not usually because of one thing; it's a whole series of little things that lead up to that one bad event, mm-hmm. because yeah, you know, for whatever reason it's but. This is where I have this real difficulty discussing these ideas with um, people who've got more libertarian ideas, because the the human greed or the human uh, the human problem isn't always considered enough for me. I'm going to keep talking about this Boeing one just because it feels relevant. But the FAA are there as a centralised body to protect. Uh, you and I from the, the uh, manufacturers of the planes and the pilots you know, from making these decisions that screw with us, they have their process of recording and analyzing every crash. They have their processes of, um, of or regulations for you know, construction of planes, yada, yada, in a fully decentralized world without any centralized governance, I think you lose things like this mm. because how do you, how do you build in that structure? And I don't... I I think... So I I see this future whereby we have a combination of... We start to understand what things should be decentralized and what things should be centralized. There's also this really great book I read recently called The Fifth Risk, which is all about the transition from uh, Obama to Trump and all the things that the Trump administration weren't ready for. And it just talks about all the things that government does that probably won't get done if you don't have a centralized authority, so like that's the area I'm most interested in. When people talk about liberty, it's like, well, but let's talk about what we lose and the risks of those side of things. I think about this a lot.
0: Yeah, I, I'm not an anti-regulation guy. Um, I mm-hmm. think you just have to be you have to be clear-eyed about how tainted that process can get, mm-hmm. and how the people that are in charge of the regulating. Uh, those are humans with, with networks of people and allegiances and jobs they had before that, and maybe jobs they want after that. And, uh, you gotta be clear eyed about that.
1: Big questions, man. Okay. Listen, going back, just cause you, uh, spent a lot of day, a lot of your day looking at the charts and in the charts going back to where we are at the moment, um, and thinking specifically about a country has been canceled <laughs> Yeah, and by the way, a lot of a lot of it I disagree with. I saw yesterday some film festivals pulled the Russian films from it, which I think is wrong. And I think there's a dog show that's banned dog, Russian dogs now. <laughs> so I, I think the 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 cultural banning's gone a bit too far. I'm on the fence on the sanctions to oligarchs. I if I I know if I say I support it, there are people listening going to say. Well, you're supporting people coming after your money. I think these people are essentially a mafia, so I think it's slightly different. But but there are people who are really going to suffer at the hands yeah. of this counseling, especially in in Russia. Yeah, uh, we see uh, Jerome Powell come out. Was it yesterday and said, or two days ago and said there may be more than one reserve currency. We have the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency. It's certainly losing its position it's not lost yet we have bitcoin growing as a position we're certainly i don't know what uh the u.s uh, sorry russia and china china going to trade in but it's not going to be dollars right because they can't we had iran come out today say they're going to be taking their oil debts in the euro like we've got this radically changing world how much are you thinking about this
0: certainly paying attention to it um that stuff definitely takes time uh i wouldn't i wouldn't think uh that it's the sort of thing that you just snap your fingers and and things you know change change meaningfully uh uh overnight but uh i've i've always thought not always sorry for the last you know 18 months ish uh the investment case for Bitcoin as pristine collateral has been how I've generally been framing it and thinking about it. And the dollar is the world reserve currency. And when people use that term, they mean that like uh, a, a lot of commerce and 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 contracts are based in dollars. You know, if 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 Brazil is selling bananas to France, they price the contract in dollars. But but the you know, we, the the global financial system is a debt based financial system, uh, certainly, and treasuries are the collateral foundation of the global financial system, and their current market cap is, you know, the aggregate value of all the treasuries in the world right now is probably twenty five trillion or something like that, and the number is definitely heading higher. And you look at um, and 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 the the interest rates on treasuries set the interest rate for every other thing on the planet. When you look at the sort of outlook for treasuries as a financial instrument over this decade and the next, that looks challenged. And so people do start to look for, well, what else could there be out there? And that list is, is like surprisingly short. Like the world does not want to use Remembe as the, or, or Chinese sovereign debt as the collateral foundation for the global financial system. The Euro, that's a joke. The Yen, that's a joke. Gold, I, I mean, I don't know. And it, like the, the it's, it's hard to find things that can make any credible sort of case. Why, why,
1: why is the Euro a joke? Why is the remimbi mean, a joke? Like for someone I don't understand. Cause like, I just see them as just smaller currencies than the dollar.
0: So the the euro is in worse shape from a like unsustainability perspective than the dollar is. And you don't have to look any further than however many trillions of negative yielding sovereign debt there are in the European Union Uh, and and how broadly uh, how wide of a dispersion there is in the European Union of different uh, countries that contribute different things and having one currency trying to govern all that and then to have that be, uh, or to have the debt of that central bank be the collateral foundation, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, the remember, I, I just think a, a, a command economy like China's, like a, a communist country like that, the world's just going to have zero interest in having that uh, that be the collateral, the debt of that be the collateral foundation. And, and, and so I think when when you look at Bitcoin, it honestly looks like the next best option. And if if Bitcoin, uh, the thing that I'm looking for over this decade from an investment case perspective for Bitcoin is just, is it making slow progress towards being pristine collateral? Is it more widely available to be used like that? Is it getting integrated into the pipes of the, of the global financial system more and more? Is there a very liquid, well-established borrow lending market for fiat currencies based on Bitcoin? Tick, tick, tick. Yeah. And, you're, and, and, and that's why when I see like like Nidig raise, what they raised? Like $700 million or something like that. I didn't see it's a, this. A, a, this is not that long, a few months ago. Damn. Their last funder is like $700 million. Well, I'm pretty sure they're going to spend $700 million trying to get the pieces in place for Bitcoin to go be pristine collateral. And that's not something, again, that's going to that's gonna play out this year or the next. That's just a broad direction over the course of this decade that you may get to the end of the 2020s. And Bitcoin has started chipping away market share at, at treasuries. And that's how you get, you know, 5 trillion market cap, 10 trillion market cap, and, and, and beyond. What's
1: stopping it at the moment? Is there anything specifically that's holding back? And like, it, as a reserve asset, does it need to be more stable? Is that not too important?
0: Um, I think the stability will come as it inevitably grows in size. Right. Um, I think it's just too new and too wacky and the, the decision makers are too old. Too many of the decision makers are too old and too unwilling to, um, uh, seriously consider it. And, um, but I think all of that is, is, is solvable and will, will get solved over the course of this decade. Do,
1: do you think it's, uh, do you think the hands will be forced on it anyway? I've talked about this before in that, I don't know about you, but I'm essentially, but Bitcoin's my reserve asset now. Mm-hmm. It's certainly for funding the podcast, you know, keeping the majority of the money in Bitcoin. Personally, majority of money in Bitcoin. That now influences my decisions quite a bit. Yep. Not small day-to-day ticket items, but, you know, buying a house, I've just bought a new house. Mm-hmm. Absolutely how I purchased that house was influenced by my ideas around Bitcoin. Right. The loan I would take, the length of the loan, how much the loan was, yada, yada. So it, I'm essentially there and nobody can stop me. Nobody makes me or takes that decision away from me. It's the same for Michael Saylor a MicroStrategy. It may be the same for you and maybe the same for Danny. It's certainly the same for uh, Bukele and El Salvador. This growing list of people who can do it without somebody centrally having to make that decision. like. In design, being decentralized, it's it's becoming this global reserve asset by the decentralized decision making of people who choose to make that decision. Yeah. rather than is that how it happens? You're like eventually you're forced to because everybody else is.
0: Uh, I don't know. I don't know to be honest with you. I mean, I think that it is, it is an idea that uh, is captivating enough to catch people's attention, and Bitcoin is. Put itself into a position where it's it is increasingly, I think, beating society over the head with its value proposition. And back to the first part of this conversation, it's why you need actions like what we've seen recently to act as that forcing function. And then the next thing you know, somebody's asking me about, hey, what's you know, some normie's asking me about, hey, what's this whole Bitcoin thing? And the idea just just spreads like that.
1: So four and a half years ago, when you were, or five years ago, were you? trading long shorts. We've had this conversation a few times. You're like, you saw this Bitcoin thing as this once-in-a-generation opportunity. You must be pretty, feel pretty vindicated for that decision.
0: Yeah, you know, I was worried about, thought, i I thought, I don't know, I'm not even sure where this came from. I thought, I had like distrust of institutions like at a very early age so that, by the time I was 18 years old, I thought both political parties were full of shit. And I just was generally distrustful of institutions. And um, I was not somebody over the first, you know, 10 years of my career. I did not spend a lot of time thinking deeply about the future broadly. Like I think about, oh, I'm gonna get married, I'm gonna have kids, where I wanna live, what I want my career to be, like that sort of thing. But like, say for example, the the role of technological evolution as it relates to society like that was just not something that I spent a lot of time thinking about now that I've been neck deep in crypto for years you do spend a lot of time thinking about that because if you own if you own bitcoin yeah it's a good one year bet three year year bet five year bet in some ways it's also like a 20 year bet right it's a it's a 50 year bet in a lot of ways and so if you if you own a lot of something that's like a 20-year bet or a 50-year bet, you start thinking a lot about 20 years from now, 50 years from now, technology, these sorts of things and, and and it has been just been a ton of that kind of thought that has that has me thinking like like looking at the current state of 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 the role of technology and 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 how it interrelates with society and how ripe it is for change. And uh, it gives me a lot of hope that it really feels like younger people feel that more strongly than older people, so that like Zoomers are going to feel that more acutely than than millennials and whatever past Zoomers are going to feel that even even more. And, and I just think that when you look across the whole landscape of potential uh, solutions, the decentralization uh, as a as a meaningful part of it, not 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 everything's gonna be decentralized. to your point about running your football club. that's not that's not what I'm trying to say, but just having it as a an integral part of the way that technology is going to be interrelated with with humanity in the decades to come. Uh, I, I I mean I, I just think that that looks like a, a a really great way to approach it.
1: All right man well, listen I got one one thing left to talk to you about is the
0: metaverse. Mm. Uh,
1: talked about it a little bit.
0: Dovetails uh, into a lot of this, actually.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's something that I think is like super exciting and freaks me the fuck out. It can be the best and worst of everything we have going on right now, uh, depending who controls it, who owns it, who manipulates it, what it ends up being, you can totally game it out. Uh, sci-fi films always tend to predict the future pretty yeah. well uh i'm not sure how far we are, are away from skynet but um
0: it's a ready player one Sh- it looks like it's shockingly accurate
1: yeah ready player one looks pretty accurate but does ready player one become the matrix that's what i don't know right <laughs> uh you like you explain that some people i think you're a psycho but you can game it out how it can happen uh, uh i also worry about some of like the behavioral changes that might happen a bit like when Facebook first arrived, mm-hmm. it was just fucking fun. Mm-hmm. Throwing sheep at each other and poking people. <laughs> uh, and now it's just this... Pokes. Wow. The po- forgot remember, remember about the
0: poke? pokes. Shout-outs pokes. The
1: poke's still there. Really? The poke, Yeah, it's hidden. You have to go into their profile, and you click on the drop-down, you can still poke. I, I poke the occasional friend.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the occasional poke. I'm i old poking these P- days. P- Peter, don't poke me, please. I'm not gonna poke you. <laughs> I'm not gonna poke you.
1: But yeah, like it was fun, right? It was like this new thing. And, and now it's not fun. It's like fucking hell. Um, and could could the very early metaverse be fun? Like uh, some people, like I did this uh, interview with American Hoddle and Seth, and we were talking about it and they're basically saying like, there is no metaverse. It's really just, you know, VR. But like I see it as like connecting parts of VR together. Mm-hmm. But looking at like what the early metaverse could be for example i've got my oculus Rift here. have you got an oculus no i've and used it before but been, have you been on the walk the plank thing
0: yeah Fuck. i know can you jump off the end it's legit uh sure i can't
1: <laughs> but uh my favorite thing in there's the boxing game right yeah and that was built by one dude this boxing game but like it's pretty real like yeah. you're moving around you, you're throwing your punches afterwards i'm fucking wrecked uh and to start to think like you can immerse yourself in worlds like that okay that's cool well can i Can I pick up a guitar and play for Metallica at Wembley Stadium? Yeah, you probably can. Like, those unreal experiences. But, like, I start to think about, this is all the fun bit, but when does it go beyond fun? Yeah, there's already, like, uh, you know, in these virtual worlds, people complain about sexual harassment. Mm -hmm. Do kids become addicted to it? Does does it become like a drug because, like, normal life is so fucking horrible that people want to be in the metaverse all the time? Like, these are all the things on my mind.
0: Yeah. Well, I think I think the gaming side of it is is one thing to think about Um, and just existing or commerce of various sorts is kind of another way to think about it um, or not another aspect of it. And part of my so the, the, the journey for me personally was when Axie Infinity really took off. Um, and we weren't involved early there, but when it, when it really, really blew up in, in kind of may of this year, we started digging into it to kind of understand what was going on and understand, you know, you know, play to earn the, the scholarship concept. And I've
1: got no idea what you're talking about.
0: Yeah. So there's, there's this crypto project called axi infinity Yeah, and it's a, a real basic game. Like think of it comparable to like one of those old Facebook games you used oh, right, to farm okay. Farmville or, or whatever. And the in-game mechanics are such that, like, you can have an asset, and the asset you can do, like a, you know, an NFT or whatever, uh, an in-game asset, and you can breed it. You can breed these axes, um, and then you can make money. You can make, uh, uh, you can generate tokens by doing that. And what ended up happening was, uh, act. Axie owners, people that owned a lot of axes, would loan the axes out to people in Southeast Asia. Southeast Asian people would do the activities to breed the axes, um, And just think of that as like grinding in a video game, right? Like you've heard that term, like, oh, I've got to grind to get to the next level up and blah, blah, blah. And,
1: oh, and they use those time incentives to make you pay to jump the clock. No,
0: no, 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 it wasn't that. It was that. They just would loan out these axes to people in Southeast Asia. They would do the grinding work of breeding the axes, and they would get a portion of the profits that were generated by that. And that's play to earn. That's the concept of, of, of play to earn. And they call that lending of the asset, they call that scholarships, basically. And um, what you were seeing was uh Axie breeders, scholarship recipients that were earning a living wage in uh Southeast Asia because the speculative speculators like me, uh the 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 wealth gap between the speculators and uh uh people in Southeast Asia and developing countries was so wide that you could peel off what amounted to a living wage for somebody. And uh it ended up kind of being a bubble and, and the price has, has come down a lot. It remains to be seen kind of kind of how that story is going to shake out. But when I when I finally understood like like what it done enough research to understand what was going on there. That is going to be we're at the earliest stages in in what is going to be an enormous uh trend for that. And it's Part of what gives me such high conviction that it is going to be such a big deal is my conviction that over the coming decades, machines are going to take more and more humans' jobs in the real world. And, uh, you know, we're going to have autonomous driving cars soon, and you're going to have, uh, you know, who? how much longer do we need accountants, right? Like, at what point are computers doing all accounting? And you just think about, uh, all kinds of different jobs that over a couple decade period of time, machines are going to are, are going to take more and more people's jobs. It's part of the reason why I think uh, universal basic income is an inevitability, and 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 it's not bad because it's it's technological technological innovation driven abundance. Um, but what you end up doing is like, what is humanity going to do all day? They're going to have universal basic income that's going to give them. Um, you know, roof over their head, food, um, uh, you know, an okay lifestyle. You're going to have a phone, you're going to have Wi-Fi. um, But then what do you, literally, what do you do all day? And what's going to happen is, uh, I think, is that all of these new worlds are going to be created digitally. And you're just going to totally reimagine the concept of work. And in these new worlds, you're going to have you know the physics can be different than the real world the economic incentives are different than the real world the governance is different than the real world it, you're just creating entirely new realms and then people are going to be uh, you know the, you're going to be uh you know trying to coordinate and incentivize groups of people in this world to do different things does that sound familiar? It's kind of like the real world, mm. right? And as I've been going further down this rabbit hole I, and I, I consider myself a Christian and practicing Christian, but the, the, the more I, I feel like uh, I'm convinced that we're in a simulation, the more research I do on this, the more I'm convinced <clears throat> that this is a simulation. We're in a
1: simulation right now.
0: Yeah. I don't know, mm. obviously I don't know for sure, well, but the I, I more the I do this, because, because the way to think about it is, the way to think about it is, okay, it's 2022. Let's run this out a couple hundred years, which in the history of this earth is a blink of an eye, a couple hundred years. You're telling me that in a couple hundred years, you can't have a non-playable character inside of a game that you have coded in some sense of self to that non-playable character inside of that game such that that character sort of like realizes that it's in this world kind of thing, which is sort of like a soul, the way that I think about it.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so I'm a character, somebody's playing. No,
0: uh no, that's not no that's not. I would like better
1: skins. I'd like to be fu- <laughs> fucking as tall as you. Pick me up as a short, fat British guy. No,
0: and it, it, don't, don't get me wrong, I mean this conversation gets really weird really quick, right? Oh, look a weird man. Uh, but but it, no, but but it just it, it is it is something that I I really have been thinking a lot about. And it seems like we're just at the earliest stages. Like, uh, this is the top of the first inning of this.
1: Well, like, what percentage chance do you put on us being in a simulation right now?
0: Oh, I don't know. Like, I mean, more it's, than 50%? I mean, I feel like it's been creeping up to, like, closer to 50. Yeah.
1: Like, I understand the theory. It's like, we've gone from, yeah, God, one of my, when I was, like, 14, the first kind of real, like, people had mobile phones. Like, maybe one of you, your friends did. Mm-hmm. To Now, like everyone's got it, and it's like a supercomputer, right? And you used to play SimCity on your you know, old computers, and now they're like the there's these worlds that my kids play games in, they're like unbelievable that spawn out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And so, like you say, you go forward 200 years can, as a version of Fortnite that you spawn like this infinite world that's already created,
0: yeah, get all that. And the other thing, too, is like I've been listening. I like to do like a quantum physics podcast. Like I listen to Lex Fridman. And then like I've like found some other podcasts like through Lex. I like I like listening to these guys talk. They got these world expert, you know, world class experts on uh, that are talking about, you know, basically where are we on? What do we know about the universe? And the more I hear these guys talk, the more it sounds like. A, a player in a video game trying to describe the video game around them. And that our understanding of physics is like try, is like the player inside the video game talking about the the way the bits work, the way the way bits work inside of of, of the video game. Like seriously.
1: There's a lot to think about there.
0: <laughs> next, next next podcast. How, how weird does it go? Like, what's the weirdest? I mean, I think it's just going to be fast. I mean, in our lifetimes, it's, I mean, it's, I think it's just going to be fascinating. And I, and I think the the digital world is going to continue to eat the analog world uh-huh. and how dystopian or not that ends up being will be entirely a function of the individuals that are working towards one eventual outcome or the other, which is what makes doing this type of work to me so worth doing.
1: I think we're very lucky as well to be well i sometimes i think we live through the best of times but also sometimes i think well maybe it's not the best of times maybe maybe the 70s would have been a lot better <laughs> well
0: listen we can, M- music
1: was a lot better i'll give you that yeah definitely a lot better music's been shit since about i think i think about the 90s was the end of good music not too far. Yeah, uh, we can do. We can get to the weird metaverse afterwards. You can have to send me some podcasts I need to listen to. Oh well. Tell me some ones to check out. Um, I've talked about your email a few times in this, Travis. Uh, it's brilliant. Tell people where to go and subscribe to it.
0: Yeah, it's ikigai.fund, dot fund. dot fund. You can sign up for it. For, it goes out the first of every month, and you can read all of the historical ones. I've been writing writing this thing for like three and a half years now. Forty two of them, something like that. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, listen, man. Always like talking to you. Thanks for coming on and. We should try and get a beer in this next couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, man. We'll do it soon. Thanks Uh, for having me.
1: Cheers. Bye. All right. Thanks for listening to What Bitcoin Did. If you want to get in touch, the best thing you can do is head over to my Telegram channel, or you can hit me up on my email, which is hello at whatbitcoindid.com.